and welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We had a really tough time figuring out what two segments to put here. Because uh, the whole first hour, no individual segment, I don't say it wasn't good enough. It, did, like, it doesn't live by itself. It was a whole hour of a theme. And the theme was, what a, what a ruse see something, say something was. <laughs> you know, see, hey, if you see something, say something. And people, now I'm like, oh, I, I see something. I see a bunch of terrorists marching through our streets. Uh, I'd like to say something. Oh, you can't say that. You can't, you can't say anything about it. Oh, uh, okay, I, but I see something. Nope, can't can't say anything. Okay, can I do something? No, 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 you certainly, certainly can't do anything. Um, you can just see. You can just see. Uh, and then we, we talked about how just I'm, I'm very angry at the fact that five American Army Special Operations guys were killed in a helicopter crash in the Mediterranean Sea. And your government said it was a mishap. Uh, that's not acceptable, calling it a, a mishap. I won't do the whole segment again, but we, we spent the whole first hour talking about those two things and weaving those two things together with a bunch of other news of the day. So if you subscribe to SiriusXM, you can listen to the whole podcast for the whole three-hour show. Uh, here, though, I want to give you uh, Ken Klukowski, who I love talking to because we got some big Supreme Court cases right now. Uh, one of them I was so wrong about. <laughs> Ken presented it. It was the last one we talked about here. Ken presented it. I was like, hmm, I think I side on this. And he's like, no. He said it nicer than that. In my brain, I was like, no, you idiot. That's so wrong. Duh. Ken's obviously right on this one. So but a lot of Second Amendment cases. We talk about them here. Ken, how are you, sir? Long time no talk. Good morning, Mike. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Hope you're doing great. So let's put a bow on the last election here. The reason the Kentucky governor's race had national implications is because the senator in Kentucky is unwell, Mitch McConnell. He keeps pausing, Ken. These aren't strokes. He's pausing. That that was a good pause there. I caught that. that, There you go. He keeps having pauses, and we're supposed to think it's no big deal, right? Uh, so he pauses and uh, he won't last till 2026. So who, who decides who is the next senator in the great state of Kentucky, the governor or the state legislature? Well, that could certainly be an issue ultimately decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Kentucky law says it would be a list provided by Kentucky Republicans. Now that's a new law. It, that's right. In in 2021, and in fact, to to take a step back, you know, until 1917, or I'm sorry, 1916, the uh, under the seven, before the 17th Amendment to the Constitution. That's where I was getting my numbers uh, jumbled. Uh, senators were elected by state legislatures because it's the U.S. House that represents people. Every American is represented equally in the U.S. House. Uh, the states do not represent the people directly. They represent – I'm sorry, the Senate represents the states. That's why every state has two senators regardless of their population. And until the 17th Amendment was passed, it was state legislatures that would vote on who the U.S. senators would be. That's now, the 17th be. Amendment switched that to it became a popular vote, and we elect senators right alongside members of the U.S. House. But – the 17th Amendment says that if there's a vacancy uh, in, in the Senate, uh, that, it, that the amendment empowers the legislature that, first of all, there'll be a special election that fills the remainder of a Senate term. But those elections happen on the same day as congressional elections. So it's like, what do you do for, you know, it could be as much as it could be close to two years until you have such an election, depending on when a vacancy occurs. And so the 17th Amendment also says that the state legislature has the option of empowering the governor to make temporary uh, 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 appointments that would last in the interim. And so in 2021, the Kentucky legislature, which is Republican majority, had passed a law saying, yes, the governor can temporarily fill a Senate seat. However, 
it the whatever party the departing senator is from, the state party leadership of that senator will provide a list of three names to the governor, and the governor must appoint from that list of three names. Andy Bashir, the governor, who was a Democrat, vetoed that bill, but the legislature overrode his veto. And as in his veto message, one that proved to be ineffective, but in the veto message, he said, you know, I, I think this is unconstitutional under our state constitution. Uh, the Kentucky Constitution says I can appoint whoever I want. And so this is really a straightforward example of, well, hang on a second. If a state constitution contradicts the U.S. Constitution, which one prevails? And that, that's an easy answer, Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution says it's the supreme law of the land and specifically includes in that that it overrides state constitutions. So I think that Governor Bashir would could very well try to appoint a Democrat, and it would be the Kentucky legislature taking him to, to court all the way up to the Supreme Court to say that they were only giving him a limited power to pick a Republican. Well, that's going to be very interesting. And then if the court decides in favor of the Republicans, uh, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a whole thing. Um, but I want to make sure I get that's this. That's what I would predict, by the way. I, I, I think the, the best reading of the text of the 17th Amendment is that it's all up to the legislature because they could deny the governor any appointment power at all. So if they're choosing to give him some, I think that includes within it the power to just give him a li- the option to just give him a limited power, which is what they did, saying, yes, you can fill it. As long as it stays with the same party. So and the that legislature, is all we're saying is the legislature, we're not letting you do anything more. I think the U.S. Constitution is on their side. So you're saying the legislature has the ability to control a governor's appointment power? Uh, only under the 17th Amendment for U.S. senators because under that amendment, the governor has no appointment power at all. And it expre- and the Constitution expressly empowers the legislature to to have the option right, of let me read giving it. appointment authority to the governor. And I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. I, I, I think that the, the power, the option that they give him would include uh, the uh, the ability to attach strings to it. OK, let me read this. Uh, if there's a vacancy in the Senate, the executive authority of such state. Who's that? That's the governor, right? Yes. Shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. Right. So that means a special election. Okay. So, hey, in in 2024, we're going to have a special election. The governor says, okay, so let's say Mitch McConnell uh, dies today or resigns. Um, Okay. The governor says, hey, next election, 2024, we're going to fill. Okay. Provided, provided that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancies by election as the legislature may direct. Bingo. And I think you have at first the may empower and then as the legislature may direct. I think that that language on uh, the bookends there, that that shows that all the cards are held by the legislature and they get to decide which of the cards in their hand they're going to pass across the table to the governor. Oh, very interesting. Okay, well, that's this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> because I can just see all the New York Times articles now about the, the Trump-controlled courts and the, this is not democracy and blah, 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 all this stuff. So that's going to be a real problem. Uh, alas. Yeah, um, and, and Kentucky is in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. That's the appellate jurisdiction. That is our... our uh, tied for our second most conservative court in the country. So I would predict, I, I don't know which way the district judges, depends on the district judge, the trial judge that you get in Kentucky, uh, could it very well go with the legislature even at that level. But I believe at the Sixth Circuit, the Kentucky Republicans would be likely to prevail. And then that would be affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court if they take it up at all. I believe that they would. I believe it's important enough for them yeah, to do it, but I think yeah. the Sixth Circuit would get this right, and it would. the Supremes wouldn't even have to take it if they didn't want to. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, tell us about the latest gun. Guns are back at the Supreme Court. I suppose we'll never put this issue to rest, right? Uh, oh, so, big time. Absolutely. So, <laughs> there, there, are, there are three cases now at the U.S. Supreme Court, and there is likely another two 
uh, two or three coming in the next year. I think wow. we're we're in a period of a couple of years where we could have a half dozen U.S. Supreme Court cases. Uh, now, of the three that are there right now, only one of them is Second Amendment. Then one, believe it or not, is First Amendment. And then a third one is under a law called the Administrative Procedure Act, the APA. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Second Amendment case is one where I don't know which way it would go. And that is, uh, I mean, they've had oral argument. It wasn't, there were hard questions on both sides. And it's, uh, and it's one of those cases where I'm not going to make a prediction uh, as, as to which way it will be. Uh, it's, uh, it's under 18 U.S.C., Section 922G8. If someone is under a domestic restraining order, uh, they, they can be uh, disarmed while that matter is pending if the order says that they're not to have any weapons. Now, on one hand, if someone's like a wife beater or something, this is a bad person. Uh, and uh, and on what you have to look at on the other side is if the right to keep and bear arms is a fundamental right – you know, people can sometimes get a restraining order by immediately approaching a judge where the other side doesn't even have a lawyer present. And so there is an issue of due process in terms of, well, hang on a second, before, before, you, before you take away someone's constitutional fundamental rights, don't they at least get to have a lawyer there who says, Your Honor, this is not warranted? Now, in this case, it's a real bad dude. Uh, his name is Rahimi. Uh, and so he's in the car with his girlfriend. He smashes her head into the dashboard. Uh, someone, people try to intervene. He takes out a gun, shoots it a few times in the air to scare away people. Uh, and then he's at a fast food uh, joint with a friend of his. I think it was a Whataburger uh, in uh, like weeks later. And his friend's uh, credit card, when they tried to get the food, the credit card was declined. And so he pulled out his gun again and started shooting in the air. So, I mean, it's like this, this is not a very pleasant person, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so it's kind of bad facts for the case. This is the guy yeah. who got the restraining order uh, it, because of what he did uh, to, to his girlfriend with, with the dashboard uh, uh, of the car. So the issue was going up, but the bottom line is, uh, and, and I want to keep this tight because it's, it's, it could go on for a, while, for a ways, is with the Second Amendment, the Heller decision that, that confirmed that the Second Amendment is a right of private citizens to keep and bear arms in 2008, that was then further unpacked in the Bruin case in 2022. And from Bruin, we get like a, a, a two-step framework, and that is if someone wants to claim the, the Second Amendment, they have to show that they are – that. That, that this has to do with the right to keep and bear arms, that, that what they want is arms within the Second Amendment, certainly like a handgun, uh, and that uh, it is involved in keeping or bearing uh, arms. Once that textual uh, box has been checked, the burden shifts to the government. The government has to show that whatever restrictions they're trying to do are consistent with restrictions that the framers of the Second Amendment, the, the ones who adopted the Second Amendment, regarded as consistent with, with the right to keep and bear arms. Like back in 1791, if you were a wife beater, you were considered a beast. I mean, the law, you know, there, there are court decisions using that word. You're a beast. You're a monster. Oh, wow. And people could be disarmed in 1791 while they were being investigated for, for, for beating their spouse. In fact, it, there were old-fashioned things called surety that you had to have, to, in some places, two members of the community who showed up and vouched for you and assumed responsibility, you know, for your peaceful actions going forward. I mean, it's, the, it's this whole thing. But the bottom line was you did have instances in 1791 where you could temporarily lose firearms uh, wow. in, in, in a case like that. And so we're, this is starting to really unpack this case where I don't know which way this one is going, but it's starting to really unpack, you know, a broad and robust right to keep and bear arms. But when there are restrictions consistent with what the, the, the adopters of our Constitution allowed, it gets to how were they disarmed 
and why were they disarmed? And so this yes. will be a very important case okay. uh, either way. But again, that's that's, that's the case that's on the bubble. Yeah, well said. That's okay. So this is, that's very. Interesting. I want to spend more time on this another day. Uh, we can we can take calls on this because this is interesting. Because I understand this guy not having a gun, uh, but as you said, what if the wife's like, um, I want a restraining order, and the judge is like, okay, done, and the police come and take the guy's guns, and the guy's like, what? Like what? What do you mean? Like I, I'm not a threat, or what? What are you talking about? And he had no way to defend himself. There's got to be a way to legislatively draw a, a firmer, clearer line than simply restraining order, right? Maybe like restraining order where the guy has a chance to defend himself or something like that. Isn't that more of a real thing? Well, I'll tell you, and, and maybe I should have gone to Rahimi last instead of first. No, it's, no, but that's the truth. Uh, it's, as the decision comes down, I think we'll have a lot to unpack on it. Okay, very good. Uh, what about the bump stocks? Okay, so this is the Cargill case out of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. And a, a bump stock is a device, well, first of all, under federal law, ever since National Firearms Act of 1934, uh, uh, machine guns, which is an actual term defined in law, machine guns have been almost, almost entirely banned since the NFA, since that law, in a special permit, FBI background check, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, um, and so it's, it's very difficult, almost impossible to have a machine gun. Then you have something called a bump stock. Uh, it's an accessory that can be put on the back of a gun at the butt where with a, with, with, uh, you, you pull the trigger and the recoil like bounces it, uh, you know, it's nestled in your shoulder, the stock. Uh, the re recoil bounces it back and forward, and in doing so, presses the trigger back against your trigger finger, uh, going back the opposite direction, discharges another round. And so the bottom line is it creates rapid fire. However, uh, federal law defines a machine gun as a firearm that fires continuously with a single operation of the trigger. And so the question, and so this regulation says, well, even though that is all about an internal firing mechanism, and you know the internal mechanism in a gun, they're saying if you can have an external accessory which mimics the effect of an internal firing action, that's close enough for government work, and so you know we we can ban that too. Oh, that's wow. what the ATF said. And so this is a challenge under the Administrative Procedure Act. It's tied into the big Chevron deference case that, that we've talked about, the Loper-Bright case, about the, the, the power of government agencies to define the terms of the statutes that they are enforcing. Uh, and it's all about, look, where, where the statute clearly defines machine gun, you know, can you essentially expand that definition through a regulation. So CERT was granted there. It's the new Civil Liberties Alliance, NCLA. Uh, got a lot of friends there, great civil liberties lawyers. They're on the conservative side. And that case will be argued before the Supreme Court uh, in the coming months. Okay, this one's very, very interesting. So clearly the law, this is my first reading, of it. clearly the law says that it is a separate firing of your finger, right? Like that, that, that's right, that you have to pull the trigger a second time in order to discharge a okay. second round. So by letter of the law, a bump stock should not be illegal. Intent uh, it, it, of the yes, law. If you're looking at the plain meaning of the words, yes. you would think it is saying, yeah, I have to pull the trigger once. And if it keeps firing, if I just pull, keep the trigger back, if the gun keeps firing... That's a machine gun. Yes. Okay. But th that's not what this is. Now, intent of the law right. is clearly to stop a gun from indiscriminate firing, right? Like that's the point of that, right? So, so in, if you're just doing intent, then yes, bump stocks are should be illegal too under this law. So, I guess my conclusion would be, Though you need to pass that, a new a bump law. Stock does, doesn't make a firearm fire nearly as quickly as a full auto machine gun. Um, because, I mean, it's, it's, you know, a real machine gun is truly rapid fire. This is 
very quick firing. Very fast. Uh, but 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 yeah. but but not like you see on an action movie or when we're seeing our great men and women in uniform, you know, yeah. in combat. Those are real machine guns, and yes. those things fire uh, a lot of rounds very yeah. quickly. Yeah, I, I want to get the numbers on that. It's somewhere in between, certainly, uh, what you can certainly do with your fingertips. So it's interesting. Do, do you follow letter of the law or do you follow intent of the law? And I think the answer is letter of the law, and if you want something different, you pass a new law. And, and that and that is exactly what the challengers are saying. It's like, look, you know, Congress can do this, and maybe there could be, maybe there would even be a constitutional challenge to that. I don't know, but the but the question becomes, who decides? And that would be the case with any area of law, and that's the big Chevron case we've been talking about, the Loper Bright case, this case that would fundamentally revisit the regulatory reach of the federal government. It's going to be a profoundly important case. Loper Bright and full disclosure, I filed one of the many briefs in that case. Uh, but it's uh, but in this case, you're, you're not just talking about deferring to. The, the federal government in terms of what the law is, you're deferring to them on a matter that implicates a constitutional right. And should there even be heightened sensitivity to who makes the decision there? You know, federal bureaucrats making decisions uh, that that uh, that implicate uh, your your rights under the Bill of Rights. OK, uh, let's see if we can fit two more in four minutes here. What is the uh, freedom of speech law? Here? Well, that is the National Rifle Association, NRA versus Vulo. And so, you know, we've all heard how Letitia James ran for a New York attorney general saying, you know, uh, if you elect me, I'm going to go after Donald Trump. We're seeing that play out every day uh, on TV. Uh, she had also run saying, you know, if I get elected, I'm going to go after the NRA. She is not the only New York politician who ran on that. Also, the New York governor, both previous and current, you know, ran saying, you know, because new, because the NRA is actually a New York corporation founded in 1871 in New York before New York is what our listeners think of these days when they hear New York. And so the uh, and so they're trying to use their hooks into the NRA as a state based corporation there. Uh, and uh, so the director of financial services who answers to the governor of New York, then went to the big finance houses in New York City, like the insurance houses and whatnot, saying, hey, we, we think of the NRA as an unsavory organization, that what it's involved with is contrary to the public good, contrary to public safety. And if you're doing business with an organization like that, that's going to raise some serious red flags to us, and we might have to seriously investigate you yes. with our regulatory powers. Yeah. And so it was flat-out coercion and intimidation. And so the issue uh, and uh, going after this, you know, the NRA is the oldest civil rights organization in the United States, 1871. And so now it's gone up to the U.S. Supreme Court as to whether it violates the First Amendment to the Constitution, free speech, for government officials to be targeting an organization because of that organization's advocacy positions on public policy issues. Hmm. Okay, my instinct is, yes, the state should be allowed to do that. My instinct is the opposite, <laughs> is that, is, is that uh, part, of what you, part of your rights under the free speech clause is that the government cannot target you because of your viewpoint on an issue of public concern. Like, let's say you personally, because this doesn't have to just be corporations. What if it's just you as a private individual? And if the government says, I think gun rights supporters, really, the way they vote, in the way they talk to other people, you know, I, I think this is contrary to the public good. We're going to do tax audits on people who say they support the Second Amendment. We are not going to audit people who say they believe in gun control. We're only going to audit people who say they believe in gun rights. Then the government is taking a certain uh, subject matter, gun rights, 
and they are discriminating on the basis of viewpoint. If you want to reduce gun rights, you're a good person. If you want to protect gun rights, you're a bad person, and we will use the coercive powers of government to make your life miserable if we don't like your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. The First Amendment to the Constitution does not allow that. Yeah, okay, that's obviously well said. What? Okay, uh, devil's advocate would be, yes, but these officials, Letitia James, was elected by the people to do said thing. Yeah, sure. So what if the governor of New York or the uh, New York attorney general was elected saying, I hate Christians, and I think that churches are therefore bad, and so we're going to crack down on churchgoers? Yeah. Yeah. What, so- because that gets into, instead of Second Amendment rights, there's your First Amendment rights. So again, it's the government deciding which constitutional rights they like and don't like, and then using their powers to go after the people who take a viewpoint that they don't approve of. Yeah, that's definitely right. Okay, very good. Um, unfortunately, we have to uh, to run, Ken, but I want everyone to go to Breitbart.com, and there's a couple articles here about reverse court packing. Just search in Breitbart.com for reverse court packing, and you can read Ken's articles on um, how the left will not stop targeting the Supreme Court. Is there a conclusion? To, I'm sorry to do that to you, Ken, but is there a conclusion about that story that we need to keep in mind? No, it's... It, it is ongoing right now. Senate Democrats are backing off for the time being on subpoenaing a, a, a couple major conservative private citizens. They backed off because Republican senators said, well, if you're going to subpoena those people, we want to subpoena the liberal so-called dark money groups like Arabella Advisors and all of these other. I think they had about 88 subpoenas lined up where they said, OK, if you guys want to investigate people because they're uh. conservative and organizations. You know, there's an awful lot of people on the left, George Soros types, who, who flood a ton of money, you know, into left-wing causes. And we have some questions about that. So here's our package of subpoenas. Have at it, Haas. And right now, <laughs> Senate Democrats have backed down, uh, and we'll see where things go. A little fire with fire there. Beautiful. Ken Klukowski, the Breitbart Senior Legal Analyst. Ken, fantastic as always. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mike. Well God done. bless. Back to Breitbart News Daily. We talked to Seamus Bruner, director of research for the Government Accountability Institute, about his new book, Control Oligarchs. This is about the guys uh, Klaus Schwab, Zuckerberg, Bezos, uh, Soros, Bill Gates, Elon, all the billionaires, super, super billionaires, and their God complex they have about controlling every aspect of your life. And Seamus Bruner is no one better when it comes to research and he did the research and he wrote the book here he is the book is called controlligarchs exposing the billionaire class their secret deals and the globalist plot to dominate your life and that is not an overstatement read it and it will all make sense it's written by the director of research at the government accountability institute seamus bruner mr bruner how are you sir Mike, it is great to be with you. Well done here in this book. Well done. Uh, I go into this argument skeptical, with a healthy skepticism. And uh, page two, (laughs) you pretty much crush that to pieces. Can I read the opening uh, quote that you share? Uh, I'd love love you to. That'd be great. uh, David Rockefeller, memoir, 2002. Some even believe we're part of a secret club working against the best interest of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. And then you, on page two, you get to this thing that as dystopian as can be called the good club. Uh, why did you start here? Yeah, that quote by David Rockefeller, when I read that first off, I mean, I, you know, I didn't believe that that could be a real quote. I had to go and get David Rockefeller's memoir and look it up. And sure enough, right there in black and white, uh, if that's the charge conspiring against the United States, he stands guilty and is 
not just guilty, he's proud of it. I was stunned. Um, and the word club there in brackets is actually cabal, but the publisher did not want to publish the word. They're like, that's just going to sound too crazy. So I said, oh, well, hold on. This is so funny. I did. This is so, I'm so glad you said it. You, you put the word club in brackets, which means, um, usually I, when I see brackets, I usually think someone put that in there for clarification's sake, but you're saying the real word is <laughs> <laughs> cabal. It was to water it down because I didn't want it to sound too nuts because the guy sounds Whoa. crazy as it is. <laughs> Unreal. All right. So what is this good club? Right. So the good club is like the most exclusive club in the world. There's about 15 members of it. George Soros, Bill Gates, uh, David Rockefeller, Ted Turner, Oprah Winfrey, of all people. Um, and they get together in May 2009 to, uh, you know, figure out how they can pool their resources to spend on priorities that are important to them. And this really precedes all of the climate change hysteria that you see today by about, you know, if it's 15 years ago, um, they, they say in May 2009, now the context here is Obama has just gotten into office. Yes. They've spent a great deal of money to get him there. And they want to figure out what can we do. Uh, let's figure out, they call it an umbrella cause for all of us to pour our resources into. And so they, they say that cause is overpopulation. They're all very uh, concerned that there's too many of us around breathing their air. Um, and out of that really grows a lot of this climate change hysteria, which is a central theme in the book. Wow. Why? Where did the overpopulation thing come from? Because that's an old thing from the 60s. So how did that come back around for them? Why, why, it was Bill Gates, right? Why was he so concerned about that? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, Bill Gates has said time and again, many times since then, that there's just far too many people on the planet, and it's catastrophic. And, and really, you see, I mean, book documents from the 60s forward, you had the climate, or you had global cooling. First, it's overpopulation, then it's global cooling, then it's global warming and the ozone layer, and eventually they arrive at, well, climate change is, is perfect because uh, weather is climate change. So you know, I think I saw a Reuters piece recently where there was a lightning strike and they said it was climate change. I'm like, really? A lightning strike? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what the, the book proves, I think, in great detail is that climate change is the method of getting very rich and also mm. uh, gathering more and more control over the masses. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I want to get to the chapter, More Pain, More Profit, in a second. But let's, let's go one step deeper foundationally. Why do these people, what is it about them? Why do they want to control every aspect of our lives? Well, I think the most simple and surface level reason is with uh, control comes uh, profit. Uh, you saw that especially in the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic, uh, these guys on the cover of the book added, almost doubled their net worth in some cases. I mean, Zuckerberg almost wow. doubled his net worth. Um, and added trillions of dollars to the to the billionaire wealthy class while the middle and lower classes lost just about the same so as we were locked down as our businesses were shut down uh all of their businesses were allowed to operate unimpeded so when you can control the economy like that that just shows how profitable it can be but i also show that i mean these guys have like god complexes on steroids so uh there's a, there's a great quote from a professor wiesenbaum from mit who says that the tech tech guys, um, they build these worlds, these digital worlds, whether it's Microsoft or Facebook, and uh, because, you know, when they turn the dials in those worlds, things react, things happen for them, they think they can do it in the real world. Um, oh, the problem yes. is, you know, we don't, we don't want to be controlled. Yes, you're right. It's in the worlds they operate in, it's zeros and ones. And you're right. They think they can just turn the dials and knobs and we can react the same way, but we're not. That's not how that works. Wow, that's interesting. Tucker Carlson had the theory that uh, ever since we dropped the bomb, the nuclear bomb, uh, our world leaders think that they are gods and they can, they can do whatever they want. You throw that in with the tech revolution, you can definitely see how that God complex would grow. That's interesting. I wanted to ask you how successful these people have been, these control oligarchs, but by your first metric of making money, uh, there's no, like it's imp they're impossibly successful <laughs> with how much money they made. So how many resources are we talking about of how much money these people have? Well, and, and to be clear, you know, it says the billionaire class, but we're really talking about the like 1% of the 0.1% in this book. Uh, 
you know, men like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg and Soros, um, they've got over a trillion dollars. Just 15, uh, 15 members in the book have over $1 trillion in personal net worth. Now, if you include the corporations which they control, we're talking over $10 trillion, really closer to $20 trillion. You bring in BlackRock, $20 trillion. I mean, these are unfathomable sums, but much more than the GDP of the United States or China. So they've got more economic power than uh, the U.S. and China, uh, which are the two, obviously, wealthiest countries in the world. And then just it's really more than money that they control. You know, you see this with the, the big tech influences in elections. Um, you know, they, they can steer all of society. Talking with Seamus Bruner. He's the director of research at the Government Accountability Institute. And the book is called Controlling Arcs. Please buy it right now and, and we can make sense of these people. Uh, let's go through some of the people. Uh, so let's do Bill Gates, right? He's, he's, I feel like that's the first name people come to mind. He, and he obviously was in the forefront of the COVID thing and everything. And I'm, I'm like, there's all these conspiracies about him buying all the farmland and stuff like that. And it's brushed aside. It's, oh, Seamus is just, um, you know, diversifying his, uh, his investments and so on. What do we need to know about Bill Gates? Yeah, I mean, everybody thinks of Bill Gates, I mean, at least prior to the pandemic, as the software salesman, uh, you know, not sure why he's investing so much in, in uh, medical technologies. must be because he's just a good guy and wants people to live, which, <laughs> as an aside, doesn't really jive with uh, the fact that he thinks we're overpopulated. But nonetheless, he gets into global health, really, when he sets up his foundation in uh, right around 2000. And he you know, funds all this uh, health stuff. He becomes a health expert. And now he's a farmer. So on the, on the farm stuff, I mean, it's not just a diversification of his holdings. He's been investing in all of these uh, you know, alternative proteins and al- alternative fertilizers. And so he, you know, these companies hold the new patents, new monopolies over f- proteins and over food and over uh, the fertilizers. And then he uses his influence to ban traditional forms of farming. You know, when you hear that, when you hear uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez say that the earth is going to end in 12 years because of cow flatulence, uh, she didn't just think that up or dream that up. That comes from a white paper uh, funded by a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or a World Economic Forum group. And banning (laughs) meats, I mean, you see there's actually, I mean, Ireland right now is about to slaughter tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of cows to save the planet. Um, but meanwhile, these, these you know, chemical-filled new forms of protein, uh, those are going to be just fine. And, and they use, by the way, more energy than cows do you know, in terms of climate change and carbon. But uh, yeah, so he wants to ban his competition, but he only uh, starts pushing that after he's secured his investments. Yes. Uh, I'd like to emphasize the point. Uh, why does the guy who think the biggest problem is we're overpopulated, focus so much on health, medicine, and clean water for the third world. One of those doesn't work, Seamus. Right. It's very counterintuitive. I mean, uh, Melinda Gates has a quote where she explains, you know, it seems counterintuitive, but it's really not. Um, You know, in their estimation, if they can save more babies in the third world, then uh, mothers will decide to have less babies. That's ah, the calculus. Yes. Yeah, so, so they'll stop having children if they can control, there it is again, uh, the number of babies that they can have. So that's why they also fund a lot of, you know, under, you know, quote, maternal health, which is really abortion, birth control, and contraceptive type stuff. You, um, have, a whole, you have a whole chapter in here about the rise of uh, lab-grown meats, and alternative proteins, as they're called. That's the eating of bugs. It is interesting that uh, Winston Churchill predicted this, but I don't think, he, did he do that with glee as, uh, as the control oligarchs today do? Uh, no, I don't believe the great Winston Churchill envisioned us eating uh, you know, chemicals from a lab as a, as a good thing. <laughs> but people today too, everything's fake. It's just another example of how, and we can save this for another day, but one of my rants that... Um, we're just being fake. Everything is being pushed on us all the time, everywhere and every, in every facet of our life, including food. So what, what's the appeal to food? Does it all go controlling your food and fake food, faker and faker food, lab grown chemical food in quotes. What, what's the push of that? Is that just go back to global warming or is there something even else there? 
yeah, it's something else. It's the same thing with the, the climate change, the green technologies, whether it's solar or wind. Um, basically, if you think of it in terms of pharmaceuticals, which you know he's also heavily invested in, uh, when there's a name brand drug, a new drug comes out, it is very, very expensive, which means very, very profitable to the person who created that drug. And then after 20 years or so, the drug goes generic, and it goes from $80 a pill to $2 a pill. Uh, same thing with food and same thing with uh, energy. So oil and gas has been around for 100 years. The patents on most of the processes for extracting and refining and transporting uh, have all run out, and it's very cheap. That's why it's uh, you know, cheap and abundant. Same thing with cows. I mean, it's the oldest form of protein out there. It's relatively inexpensive to farm cows. However, these new technologies, these new proteins and these new solar, wind, nuclear, which Gates is heavily invested in, uh, those are all patented processes. And for the next 20 to 50 years, they'll be able to ref you know, refine the process, get new pa patents. It keeps competitors out. That's the thing you see with these guys time and again is they don't like competition. They want to hold monopolies. And so with the proteins, you know, when now they're banning the competition, that equals an enormous amount of money. I mean, food, agriculture, trillion-dollar industry, energy, trillion-dollar industry. And if you can corner it by claiming that uh, you're solving climate change, well, you're going to be set for life and many generations after you. Seamus Bruner, uh, Director of Research, Government Accountability Institute. The book is called Control. I'm not done, by the way. This is, I just want to make sure everyone knows the book we're talking about. That sounded like I was wrapping it up. I'm not. I have tons more questions if you have time. Uh, control oligarchs exposing the billionaire class, their secret deals, and the globalist plot to dominate your life. Control oligarchs. Go buy it now. Seamus Bruner, S E A M U S. Um, this quote right here. So, again, if you're skeptical of this, if you're like, oh, Seamus seems, you know, you're, put, you're, you're connecting dots that aren't there, Seamus. You know what I mean? You're going, you're going a little too far. Let's not be crazy here. This is George Soros, 2004. I fancied myself as some kind of God. If truth be known, I carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, <laughs> which I felt I had to control. It's a sort of disease when you consider yourself some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. <laughs> Kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one of the best quotes. And that's really how I started this. Like, I know that this is, you know, I myself thought a lot of this stuff was uh, conspiracy theory sounding. Um, but then I, you know, started digging deeper, went through, I mean, just mountains and mountains of corporate records and memoirs. I got all their memoirs, read through their memoirs and found that quote. And that was a, that was a stunning Soros quote. I would say. So what is the open society that we need to be on the lookout for from Soros? Yeah, Soros has been a, a philanthropist, so-called philanthropist for decades, probably, you know, as many, as long as anybody in the book, if not longer, uh, the Open Society Institute it sounds great, and he's really, really good at naming his foundations and uh, entities and dark money groups, uh, names that sound good, like who could be against democracy, uh, you know, the democracy partners, who could be against an open society. Um, the problem with that is George Soros does not want an open society. I mean, he's the kingpin of one of the largest dark money networks in politics, and uh, he, nobody elected George Soros, and he's making sure that the will of the people, whether it's in uh, presidential elections, the 2024 election, for example, whether it's in uh, your local uh, prosecutor races, he's even in, uh, you know, buying off the sheriff races. And if you, you know, think about having yes. a, a Soros-funded sheriff, that's not good. Oh, man. So that is so obvious. Like, we all know the, the DA's story by now. Uh, but you're right. Why, why wouldn't you do that with sheriffs? I mean, think of that, of course. Uh, but you can see how effective he is with so with all this stuff. So, like, where else where else do we see his footprint, uh, George Soros? Yeah, well, I mean, the sheriff races. I mean, your your last guest Ken was uh, spot on with everything he was talking about with uh, the subverting the will of the and using coercive powers of the government. I mean, imagine your sheriff executing red flag laws on, uh, yeah. you know, someone who's not actually a threat, or a lot of people who are not actually a threat. Uh, anybody who attends a Donald Trump rally, maybe. Um, so that, you know, the sheriff is a big one. Um, and then, you know, we actually, you know, he's funding the efforts to get Donald Trump's name off the ballots. That's uh, not very open or democratic. 
Um, and then, you know, the thing that's probably the most frightening about George Soros, I mean, the guy is 93. You look at him and you're like, okay, he can't be around much longer. Uh, but no, not so fast. He's got a young, you know, mid-30s-year-old son who, if he lives to his father's age, will be pouring a $25 billion empire into our elections for the next 50 years. Um, let's talk about Elon Musk. So um, I think a lot of conservatives even have put their guard down about Elon Musk because he has you know, free speech, sort of whatever, at least he promotes, you know, did the Twitter thing and he's kind of a goofy guy and he likes Tucker Carlson and he, you know, whatever. He has like some conservative-y kind of things, but I think Elon Musk wants to literally rule the world and he wants to control the high ground, or at least he is going to control literal high ground by controlling all the satellites. In the, right, so I, I think I think Elon's a dangerous guy. Uh, how should we view him? Yeah, he's got the he's got the satellites up above the atmosphere. He's got the boring company underneath your cities. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I applaud Elon Musk for what he's done with Twitter, at least for now, um, making it a much more free speech platform. And he he says uh, he says some great things. He just just the other day he posted a Hayek quote, and I was like, yeah, go Elon. Uh, <laughs> it was on a it was on a meme with a girl in a bikini, so that was kind of funny. But um, he's definitely got some tech, technocrat DNA in him. And uh, I mean, we we followed it back through his mother to his uh, grandfather, who was basically the founder of the technocracy movement in Canada. He got kicked out of Canada. This is Elon's grandfather. Um, and, uh, you know, the technocracy movement essentially is an anti, inherently anti-democratic movement um, that says that the engineers and the scientists need to run society. The, uh, the peasants and the unwashed masses are not quite smart enough to make decisions for themselves. So you, you can definitely see that in some of the things that Elon Musk is prioritizing. I mean, one of the examples in the book is Neuralink, this brain microchip company. And, of course, it's uh, billed as a way to cure paralysis and, um, you know, help people with neurological problems. But, you know, he's rather gleeful when he talks about the idea of sending psychic text messages. And, uh, you know, some of the shocking stuff is the test subjects of Neuralink, these monkeys and other animals, uh, thousands of them have had to be euthanized after getting the chip implanted in their brain. You know, the, the scientists will find the monkeys in the cell chewing off their fingers and uh, bashing their skulls against the cage, and so they have to euthanize these poor monkeys. But Elon says not to worry. They, uh, they get a banana smoothie after their trials. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, what a metaphor thing, for us, The thing though, with right? that is it, Biden's FDA just approved Neuralink for FDA. Uh, the FDA just approved it for uh, human trials. Yeah, but we'll be told the same thing. Like it'll, he'll be successful, and it'll be con- completely mind controlling in every way. Like that—that's the thing I'm most horrified by our future Neuralink, by the way. Um, and uh, we'll be fine because we'll be, uh, you know, courtside tickets to every game or whatever. Like, you know, and and we'll be just like stupid bread and circuses, and we'll be totally mind controlled. It's it's your chapters on listen. Everything's shocking in this book, but the chapters on technology uh, to me are are just terrifying. This idea, first of all, Microsoft has a patent called the 666 patent. Like, they call it that. So it's like, what are we doing here? Like, what, uh, what a glitch in the matrix that is that this is called the 666 patent. What, what is this idea of human livestock? What, what do you mean human livestock? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Microsoft doesn't brag about it being called that. That's what uh, critics who've reviewed it call it. But it is uh, numbered 060606 in the patent system. Uh, this is, <laughs> and this gets into some esoteric type uh, technology, like it's, you know, the blockchain, and, uh, but it is effectively a chip in your body so that uh, it's a way of generating currency while you uh, do certain activities. So you could uh, sit and watch uh, advertisements. You know, some people, <laughs> you know, and there's bot farms in Africa where they uh, take surveys or something. Um, that's the type of technology it is. It's not clear what they plan to use this for, but it's a chip that allows you to uh, generate, buy, and spend money that's implanted. So you can certainly see where the 666 uh, references come from with that. All the, all the facts, all the footnotes, all the sources, all the quotes, it's all in the book. And then at the end, the solutions, page 267. Uh, Seamus, give me, give me one. You have seven here. Uh, give me one thing 
that we can do. I think we feel so powerless, right? We hear about these control oligarchs. We don't like it, obviously. We're conservative by nature. So we, we repel against it. But what do we do? Yeah, it was, it was pretty, this was a heavy, heavy research project going through all this stuff. And I got to the end and it's like, what, you know, what can you tell people that they can do when you're facing trillions of dollars, you're up against trillions of dollars. Um, and, and you don't want to go tell people, well, just go get a cabin in the woods and learn how to homestead, yeah. although that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but uh, no, you, you need to jealously guard your wallet and uh, you need to know what your, your, your data, you need to jealously guard your personal data, especially that of your kids. Um, you know, you, you can't be letting them use these apps like the tick, like TikTok and Instagram for kids. I mean, there's a, the Instagram's coming for kids, although the lawsuits, recent lawsuits are trying to you know, stop Facebook from doing that. But I mean, you, you need to, you know, vote with your wallet on these things. You need to cancel the subscriptions. I know it's easier said than done as I'm selling a book on Amazon, but, uh, it's, you know, you got to cancel, cancel the subscription, stop giving them your money. We saw with Bud Light and Target that uh, conservatives have real economic power when they, when they band together. And you need to talk to your legislators and congressmen and tell them to, to ban your taxpayer money from funding these initiatives. Yep. And then I like your seventh one. And I want to, I want to do some time on this this week, uh, but I love the seventh one. Buy everything we possibly can locally. So important. So important to get back to that the way it used to be. And then your first yeah, one is summed up in two words. Buy local is very important. Yeah, it really is, which is kind of a hippy dippy thing, but I'd like to conservatives right. to take that and embrace it and make it our own. Uh, Cause that's, that's, that is a major part of the answer. Uh, Seamus Bruner, control oligarchs. You can also go to control oligarchs. What's the website? Control oligarchs book.com control oligarchs book.com. If you want to avoid evil Amazon control oligarchs, exposing the billionaire class, their secret deals and the globalist plot to dominate your life. Uh, Seamus Brunner, well done. Years of research in this, man. And it shows. Every single page, it shows. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Tremendous. Seamus Brunner right there. Again, the book, Control Oligarchs. Go get it right now. I'm American made. I got American Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily on tomorrow's show. We'll see if the government has uh, said anything more about the five Americans who were killed in a helicopter crash. Five special ops guys who were killed. Nothing about their families. Nothing about what happened. Nothing. Just not just just mishap. And we'll see if the media takes that. We'll see if uh, the American people are like, oh, okay, moving on. I don't want to move on from this, actually, at all. Cover more of this tomorrow. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.